She's allowed to say that because she's my wife. Okay. Why don't you stand for a minute? We're not going to do the hello thing. Don't be worried. I want to take just about 30 seconds and be quiet before the Lord. I know that God um, is speaking because he's always speaking. And uh, I have a sense of something that he's doing right now, even before we go into the message. So let's just take, our, uh, take the time. Psalm 31, David says, my times are in your hands. God's got plenty of time. So let's just take a moment and open our hearts to God. This is what um, I felt like the Lord said to me while we were worshiping. And we're a church that believes that God speaks, and he doesn't just speak through the pastor. He just may have done it this morning. And we discern, you know, God, what do you want to do with this? So let me tell you what I experienced. I was singing. I don't have a particularly good singing voice, in my humble opinion. I was singing, and um, something happened in my being, and I could feel myself singing from a deeper place within me. You know what that feeling is? It's, and this is what the Lord said. I want to give you a new register. I'm not even sure I know what that means. And I said, Lord, is this for me or is this for everyone? And this is what I think the invitation of the Lord is to us today. Before we get to the message about calling, I think the Lord's calling some of us this morning. If you are a person that you feel like the the activity of God right now is he wants to draw out your voice. You just, it'll just hit you. Like you go, oh my gosh, that's me. He wants to draw out your voice. And maybe it's a a first time you need to speak out. I'm not talking about a calling to evangelism, though I love that, but just it's time to speak out who you are, what God's put in you. Or maybe you have been living your life in a falsetto. You have been imitating a different level. I don't know how else to say this. And God wants your voice to come out. Does that, does that make just the tiniest bit of sense? Okay. So if that's you and you think this is God's calling upon you, I would just ask you to come forward and we want to pray for you for a minute. some ministry team, if you could come and follow these people. We just want to bless what God is doing. And this is what I believe God is doing in you. God has singled you out uh, because he loves you. And his calling upon you this morning is he's he's just reaching down and he's, he's lifting you up and he's saying, I want to hear your voice. I don't want to hear somebody else's voice through you. I don't want to hear something that you've heard on a podcast I want my word to resonate in your soul, and I want the world to hear it from your soul. So let's pray. God, you have elected to pour out your spirit on all flesh. So, Lord, I ask right now in the name of Jesus, pour out the Holy Spirit on these 
that you have singled out this morning. It, it, because you love them, Lord, you've singled them out and you've called them. And they can feel it within them right now, Lord. This, there's a deeper register. There's something more resonant within them. And I ask in the name of Jesus that you would bring uh, sound and freedom to the very bellies of those who have come forward this morning. The voice of the Lord thunders, the scripture says, and the voice of the Lord wants to thunder in you and through you. So I ask, Holy Spirit, come. We ask that the praise of God, the testimony of God, the reality of God's presence and love, the character of God, the power of God, the love of God, the fruit of the Holy Spirit would be born in these people. So, Lord, douse them now in the Holy Spirit. And I ask for freedom, for freedom for each one of these. And I just want to announce to you in the middle of this prayer, this is not something you have to make happen. This is a gift from God that you say yes to, much like Holly said. And you just take a step of faith, and the Lord wants to release your voice. The Lord wants to release your voice. The voice of the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you that you are a good, good father. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, with whom there is no turning, no shadow. Let the goodness of God fill them, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can find a seat. Now, let me give you a 30-second training on how to receive a prophetic word. said it a couple weeks ago. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, don't despise the prophetic word, but test everything and hold on to that which is good. So if God spoke to you in any way through that word, and even as you're up here, you felt the power of God, you just say, God, let me hold on to what is good and true. I'm going to take a few minutes and talk about how when God calls us, we don't have to make that calling happen. We cooperate with God, primarily focused upon him, and not necessarily the vocation, that is, the calling, but on the caller. Yeah, the caller. Makes it sound like a square dance. Okay. All right. Everybody okay? Okay. Gee, I would have to do that on the day when I have six points. Uh, I actually have quite a bit of scripture that I want to give you this morning, and I, I feel confident when I get to give a lot of scripture, you know, uh, hopefully for me this morning, less commentary and more just the voice of the Lord thundering in your hearts and your minds. Last week we read from first Samuel 16 and we read how David was chosen by God. Um, the, The Lord calls him. The Lord gives him the Holy Spirit. That's the gift of God. The Lord then orchestrates his entire life. That's two chapters of the Bible. Now, more than that. I mean, two books of the Bible. In fact, more. And David's primary job in the midst of living out his calling is faithfulness to God. But you can't figure out how to figure out how to do the work, though that's an important part. But you can't figure out how to do the work unless you're primarily connected to the one who gave the work to you, right? I just can remember one of our children, I won't name him, Jonathan. And at about the age of six, you know, we would say, John, we want to show you how to do this. And he would just say, I got it. 
you know? Any of you ever do that? Like, I know this one. Uh, Sometimes we just need to stay connected to the to the big person in our life. Say, so teach me how to do it. <laughs> okay, we're running off. First Samuel uh, sixteen eight to thirteen. I'm going to read this right here from the Holy Bible. Now the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, let's start in sixteen. Sorry, sixteen seven. Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, remember, Samuel's come to to anoint a king, a new king. Samuel said, this is not the one that the Lord has chosen. So Jesse summoned Shimea, but Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, I love this one, are these all the sons you have? Now, he's still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of oil he'd brought and anointed David with oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. I just want to make some observations about the calling of God on our lives from the life of David. These are some high-level observations. I'm going to give you a pile of scriptures that you can go through on your own. First observation is this. It sounds silly, but you've got to speak it out. God knows where you live and work. God knows where you live and work. David is the least of the brothers, right? And this big event is going to happen, the anointing of a king. It's a big deal. And David's not there. And the prophet of God comes and says, I'm going to anoint the king. And he's, you know, he's looking for him. Where's the guy? Where's the guy? And the Lord says, no, 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 right? The Lord was not thwarted from calling David just because David wasn't at the party. And in fact, um, Jesse, David's son, did not even deem, think about this, did not even deem David important enough to invite him to the party. In other words, and I'm, I'm, I'm interpolating a little bit here, it sounds like, to me, like Jesse thought, I've got to get all the sons up, this is going to be a big deal, except for David, I mean, whatever. I think David was a whatever. Who wants to be a whatever like David. Whatever, a man after God's own heart. So it's just an observation from the scripture. God knows where you live and work. If you ever have that sense, I've got to shimmy what myself into God's presence so he'll see me, right? Who has not at some point when a move of God is happening, something's going on, they're just like, okay, where do I position myself with the light so the prophet will see me and point me out? Am I the only one? I'm probably the only one. No, we manipulate and orchestrate our, our own lives over and over again, sometimes out of fear that the Lord doesn't know where we live or work. Observation, truth number one, the Lord knows where you live and work. God sees you and he knows your heart. There is no room for FOMO in the kingdom. I thought I was brilliant with this. I thought, no more FOMO. 
I thought, that's so amazing. And I look it up. Of course, it's a website and an app, and I didn't know all that. You know. The point of nomofomo is so that you will no longer have to fear missing out because everyone in the world will know where you are and you'll connect with them. Well, guess what? There's no room for FOMO in the kingdom. There's no fear of missing out. We don't need to. God knows where we work and live. We don't have to orchestrate our lives as if God just couldn't get to us. That's just not how God works. God's desire and ability to use you is much greater than your ignorance about how God might want to use you. Sometimes we think, you know, I'm so clueless, God can't use me. Well, that's kind of number one. uh, I mean, you're perfect for God if you don't know what you're doing. Because then he can direct you, but you have to look to him. You have to look to him. There's still responsibility in the midst of that. You don't need to strive after attention, the attention of people or God. David was out of sight, doing his job, killing wolves, right? Wrestling bears, worshiping God, stinking up the place. And God knew where he was and God pulled him. And then I love it. Samuel says, go get your son. We will not sit down until he arrives. There's, I think, a lot more there, but I'll just say it is the heart of God to find his people. And he will not sit down. He will not rest until he gets you where he wants you. That's observation number one. Observation number two, our first call is to God himself. Our first call in life is to God himself. It's the salvation call. It's the intimacy call before it's the expression call out to people. Acts 13:22 says but God removed Saul and replaced him with David. This is Paul writing about David. A man about whom God said, "I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart." What was the first thing that God looked at in the life of David? It wasn't, "Boy, he's really good with that sling." Right? He's really tall. No. This is a man after my own heart. Our first call from God is first to God himself, right? So important that we get that because uh, we can sometimes be distracted from our focus upon God trying to do things for God. And I'll just let you uh, think about times in your life where that may have been the case. Psalm 27, 4, let me read this because this is, here's David's heart that we're getting. Psalm 27, 4. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. This is the king of Israel. He's got a few things to do. And he says, there's, there's one most important thing. I've got to be with God. Because my first call, I think, is in David's heart is it's to God. From the place of God's presence, I can release his presence. But if I'm not with him, I can't speak for him. That's the heart of David. Psalm 62, a couple of verses I'm picking out. My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. My soul, he's speaking to his soul. My soul wait in silence for God only. For my hope is from him. On God my salvation and my glory rests. The rock of my strength. 
My refuge is in God. The people and staff here have heard this from me a few times because I keep talking about this Psalm 62. My salvation and my honor depend on God. I do not have to orchestrate the world's opinion of me. What a relief. (laughs) Think of all the apps we can get off our phone. Because our salvation and our honor depends on God. This is our primary contact. This is our first calling is to God alone. Psalm 63, 1 to 8. O God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. This isn't just David the poet. This is David the lover. I've seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. Because you are my helper, I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. David was a lover of God first and foremost. uh, Skip to the New Testament real fast. John 17, 3. Jesus says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. You know, Jesus says number one is knowing God. What we do for him is, is all out of grace. But number one is knowing God. This is Jesus speaking. Here's the number one thing, that they might know you and me, the revelation of your character, the very Son of God. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, I'm concerned about you, Corinthians. I don't want you to be distracted from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. Paul was a pretty active dude. He had a lot of things going on. But he said, don't forget the most important, the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Jesus. Third observation, the call of God carries the power of God to live out the call of God. When God calls you, with the call comes the power to live it out. Do you ever get nervous like you think, I think God's given me this big calling. How am I ever going to do it? If God has truly called you, The call empowers the ability. I mean, it comes with it. I I just got to say the way, well, let me read uh, Romans 8, 28 to 30. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them. He chose you to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. You're here in God's family because God called you. Remember Jesus, John 15? You didn't choose me. As you were just going through the list of gods, you know, Buddha, no. (laughs) Hindus got about a million of them, no. I don't mean to be facetious. I mean, we didn't get to God like that. We didn't pick him out of a pantheon. 
He descended from heaven and said, I want you. That was it. His call was effective. Listen to John Piper. I just got to quote it because it's awesome. John Piper talks about the call of God. He says, it was like the effectiveness of a command that someone uses to wake you from a deep sleep. You lean over their ear while they're asleep and you cry out, wake up! And they bolt upright. They did not hear the command and ponder it and then decide to wake up. Have you ever experienced this? There was no pondering. There's just murder. That is the way God raises us from spiritual death. And only God can do it. And he did it for you. He loved you this way. Ephesians 2.4 says, It was because of God's great love that he made us alive when we were dead. You were about to sleep yourself into hell. And God woke you up to the ugliness of sin and the beauty of a great Savior. Isn't that great? The power of God is in the call of God. If he's called you to himself and to some vocation to live out your life in the world before the Lord, you you have the ability to do it. You don't have to scramble in fear wondering, will I do it well enough for God? The ability is in the call. Because that's how big God is. Observation number four. Everyone called by God is also called to the world. I could talk on this one for a little while, but I will keep it relatively brief. Everyone called by God and to God is also called to the world. In other words, David had this first and foremost call to God, but Uh, Out of that call to intimacy was the call to express the character and purposes of God in his generation. He had a call also to the world. Acts 10.36, for after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died. See, I'm packing a lot in there. But David was called first to God, and then he was called to a job, a vocation. He was a politician. Did you ever think about that? Did that change your view of politicians? It's a hard gig, I bet. I don't, I'm not running for office. It's a hard gig, right? He was a politician, and he had a lot of things going on. But he knew that this was a call from God to God, and then he had to express the purposes of God in his generation. Don't you want that? I want this of my life. I want to be able to say at the very end of my life, the last breath, I serve the purposes of God in my generation. I did God's will for me in my generation. Not less, not more, in peace, with confidence, humility, in the name of Jesus be praised. I think that's what David was after. Paul says in Philippians 3, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. There's this inner compulsion for Paul and all the people of God. I want to know what I was made for. Not so that I can go out there and point to myself, look at me, but so that I can live out the reality of my identity in Christ in a true and beautiful way. Because the world needs to see Jesus in you. There are some people that won't see Jesus in any other way but in your life. Where you work, where you study, where you work out, where you walk, where you shop, where you mope. Where you avoid people. Oh, no, that's talking about me. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Where you go in the world, right? God wants to show himself through you. 
John 17, 4. So we read John 17, 3. Jesus said, this is eternal life, to know you and me, the one who sent you, or the one you sent. And then he says this. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. That hit me this summer. I read that verse and it just, it just rocked me. I don't know. I hadn't seen it in, in the light of my own life before. Jesus is talking to God, his father, in front of the disciples. And he says, I brought you glory on earth by completing, finishing the work you gave me to do. I mean, there's a couple of things. I'll start with the easy one, which is we bring glory to God by doing what God's called us to do. Not what someone else tells us to do. Not what we wish we could do so we could be on the Internet like that person. No, we give glory to God. God gets praise and adoration when we simply live out what we were meant to do by God. Here's the hard part. Here's the challenge. Here's the question I'm going to ask for which I don't have an answer. Jesus hadn't even been to the cross yet. What are you going to do with that? Maybe Jesus made a mistake, right? I don't think so. I'm just, I'm wrestling with this. You know, we're a family. We're wrestling together. How could Jesus say, I brought you to glory by finishing the task? When he hadn't done what we think is the big deal of Jesus' life, right? Death and resurrection. I think, I'm just going to posit this, all right? You work on it on your own with God. I think Jesus was saying, I am fully comfortable with who I am and what I've done to this point. And in our relationship, Father, I am certain that I will do all you've called me to do, even if it's hard. Remember, Jesus hasn't been yet to the, oh, God, is there any other way? He gets to that in a couple chapters. Oh, God, is there any other way? Here he's saying, like, he's got an inkling. He knows what's coming. God, I've I've done it here. Now, I know there's more hard stuff to do, but I'm going to rest right here in confidence that you have me. And I'm going to live out... um, my life in your will for your glory. I don't know. Just wrestle with that one. There's something in there for us that we need to recognize. And what it tells me is it's not just about the end game. Sometimes I think as, as believers, especially as active believers, like we want to go and win the world for Jesus. I love that. I came into the kingdom on that tide of missionary fervor. And I love it. I'm passionate about the people of the world hearing the gospel. But in, in God's view, I don't think it's just about the end game. It's not just run as hard as you can and hope we get as much as we can. There's something about faithfulness to the day. Faithfulness to the day. There's something peaceful about being able to, to, to go to bed at night and say, God, I did your will today. I don't know what tomorrow brings. I'm not going to worry about next year. I can't even count to 10 years from now, but I'm going to be faithful to this day. I was faithful to this day. It's not just about the end. We give glory to God by living from our calling into our calling and living out our calling. No running ahead of where God wants us to go. No lagging behind. Some of us hear the call of God and then we want to play possum, right? I don't know nothing. I'm just going to sit here until something happens, right? No, that's not how we do it. The radical middle of active, humble trust is where God has his people. Fifth observation, the call of God has motivating power in your life. One verse, 
First Chronicles 28, 1 to 5. David assembled all the leaders of Israel, and he said, The Lord chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever, for he has chosen among the sons of my father me. He was pleased with me to make me king. Here's David reveling in the choice of God. I think it's because the call of God on his life empowers him. It's like, you know, God let... I I think that in this one way I'm like David. When I get to get up here and speak, and and I love this to to put out the word of God, I think, God, you must really love me to, to let me get to do this. I don't do this to earn your love. But because I have your love, I get to do this. You've got something like that in your life where you realize, wow, this is just, how good is it that what I love to do, God loves for me to do, empowers it. The call of God has motivating power. Sometimes we need to go back to those calls when it's a dark period and remember, God called me. He loves me even though I'm in a dark place. And I'll end with this observation. The call of God in your life will be fulfilled in God's time. The call of God on your life will be fulfilled. Job 42.1, no plan of God can be thwarted. Deal with that one. From the time of David's anointing to be king of Israel, it's 15 years till he's anointed. And it's uh, another seven years until he's anointed as king of Judah. So, I mean, uh, 15 years until he's anointed as king of Judah, another seven years until he's king of all, uh, over all Israel. 22 years from the call of God, the anointing in front of people until he actually walked it out. And even then it only got harder, right? God will work his will in your life. It doesn't mean we don't have to go after God, but we cooperate. But in the end, God's will being done in your life is on God. It's on God. Can we trust him? It's a theologian or a philosopher from the 20th century whose name I can't pronounce, the French guy. He says, trust the slow work of God. And like 80% of us go, oh. (laughs) Let me read this from Oswald Chambers. Terry, is this going to be hard for you if I read this from Oswald Chambers? Here we go. This is from My Utmost for His Highest, July the 6th, okay? He says this, We always have visions before a thing is made real. When we realize that although the vision is real, it's not real in us, then is the time that Satan comes in with his temptations, and we are apt to say it's no use to go on. Instead of the vision becoming real, there there has come the valley of humiliation. We know the valley of humiliation, right? God gives us the vision, then he takes us down to the valley to batter us into the shape of the vision. 1916, the guy was a little harsh, okay? Missionary in Palestine, it was tough, all right? But, but take, take the heart of it. It's in the valley that so many of us faint and give way. Every vision will be made real if we'll have patience. Think of the enormous leisure of God. He's never in a hurry. We're always in such a frantic hurry. In the light of the glory of the vision, we go forth to do things, but the vision is not yet real in us. 
And God has to take us into the valley and to put us through fires and floods to batter us into shape until we get to the place where he can trust us with the veritable reality. Ever since we had the vision, God has been at work. Ever since we had the vision, God has been at work. Getting us into the shape of the ideal and over and over again, we escape from his hand and try to batter ourselves into our own shape. Guilty. The vision is not a castle in the air, but a vision of what God wants you to be. Let him put you on his wheel and whirl you as he likes. And as sure as God is God and you are you, you will turn out exactly in accordance with the vision. Don't lose heart in the process. If you ever had the vision of God, you may try as you like to be satisfied on a lower level, but God will never let you. I mean, if God's called you, he's put his son Jesus in you, he's filled you with his Holy Spirit, and you have a sense of of calling out in your work and vocation, your intimacy with him, the way you might express yourself in ministry, in life, in raising your children, in loving the people around you. God is going to constantly give you that holy discontent until you step, step, step into his plan for you. He can be trusted. God's will for your life will be done in God's timing. And so David says, Psalm 31, 15, my times are in your hands. That's a good prayer for people called by God. My times are in your hands. Let's pray. Let's stand. Ministry time, uh, team can come forward, and we're just going to pray. A few more ministry team members if we could have up front here, thanks. Let's pray. God, you know the heart and the soul of each person here. Psalm thirty-three, fifteen. it says, The Lord uh, sees all of mankind, for he's fashioned each one of their hearts. So, Lord, here are our hearts fashioned by you. And we ask that you'd come and mold our hearts to be attuned to your will, to long for your will, to desire you, God, first and foremost, and in your presence to discern our calling in the world, that in joyful, confident, humble trust, we could walk out the life of Jesus in these bodies in 2018 in Indianapolis. We thank you, God, that you are worthy, 